Good afternoon. We are together today for our Arab Shabbat Friday afternoon Torah class with Rabbi Akiva Zweig, Rosh Yeshiva at the Talmudic University of Florida, and the spiritual spearhead of the Hemisphere program. Be sure to ask questions about both if you're not already familiar with what they do. Today, uh, the Henry and Lisa Manusheri Parsha Shear is going to be covering Parshas Vayihi. The topics will be leaning into transformation and a nation of nations and kings. Presumably that's us. The month of Tevas is dedicated by Sylvia Levy and family in commemoration of the 10th Yortzeit of her beloved father Yitzhak ben Moshe. Isaac Sterenthal Zichrana Livracha, may his memory be a blessing, lived a life full of purpose and unrelenting optimism. He was very responsible, firm, honest, and loyal, and you could always count on his support and his word. Isaac's love of family and his quiet acts of kindness are transcendental. His family has been deeply inspired by his example and are forever transformed by his abundant blessings. May uh, Neshama have an Aliyah on his 10th yard site. Uh, for those of you who want to view uh, or, or, or do the learning again, a recording will be posted after the share, and it'll also be available in podcast form. Uh, without further uh, ado, Rabbi Akiva Zweig and Parshas Vaihi. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope that everyone is well. We are discussing Parsha Vayechi today, which is the concluding Parsha in Sefer Bereshis. Uh, you know, it's a little sad uh, always to say goodbye to Sefer Bereshis. For many people, it's their favorite book in the Torah. And uh, I do feel very strongly connected to Sefer Bereshis. And I think it's uh, incredibly important to know Sefer Bereshis well, because Bereshis really means the beginning of everything. And the entire book of Bereshis really is the foundation of everything. It sets the stage for everything. And therefore it makes the Parshios extremely pertinent and relevant to today. Of course, the Torah is always relevant, but the book of Bereshis itself has to be relevant because it really is the foundation of the entire future. So we're going to talk about today, as Aaron Yehuda mentioned, is leaning into transformation. And this idea that the Jewish people are really a nation of nations. Now, there's so many fascinating points to discuss in the parasha, but perhaps one of the real both sticking points and uh, mystery points of the parasha is the ultimate definition of the relationship between Yosef and his brothers. So I want to read to you the sentences that are the Torah's last recording of a conversation between Yosef and the brothers. And I want to go through those sentences and then share with you with a literally mind-blowing commentary from the Baal Hatur. So this is chapter 50, sentences 14 through 20. The brothers of Yosef saw that their father died. So this sentence is being written as an aftermath epilogue of the burial of Yaakov in Eretz Yisrael, that the brothers, including Yosef, went up to Eretz Yisrael to bury Yaakov. The brothers saw that their father died, 
and they said, Lu Yistemenu Yosef, perhaps Yosef will hate us. Hate. Yistemenu is the word that the story uses to describe the hatred of Esav for Yaakov after Yaakov gets the blessings. It says, Vayistom Esav is Yaakov. So that's the word, right? The same word that describes the hatred of Esav towards Yaakov after Yaakov receives the blessings is the same word that the brothers use to say, perhaps Yosef will hate us or hates us, and he will turn upon us. He's going to return upon us all of the evil that we did to him. And just think about that. That's 20 years, 22 years ultimately of being away from home, where his father doesn't know if he died, where Yosef has no idea if he will ever become reintegrated with his father, with his brothers, etc., Okay, and they're saying perhaps Yosef will do to us all that we did to him. And then the Torah says, and they commanded or instructed uh, to Yosef, saying, your father, Yaakov, right, your father, Yosef, which is Yaakov Avinu, commanded before his death, saying, this is what you should say to Yosef. Please, I'm begging you, bear the, the, the terrible sin, the terrible rebellion that the brothers did to you and the sin that they, the evil that they perpetrated against you. And now please forgive the sin, the rebellious sin of the servants of the God of your father, meaning the brothers are still the servants of Hashem and the servants of Hashem, who is the God of Yaakov. And Yosef cried when they spoke to him. The brothers also go, they fall in front of him and they say, behold, we will be slaves for you. And Yosef says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You thought that you were doing something evil. Hashem planned it that it should be for something good in order to establish for today a big, big nation. So whether that's a saving of the brothers or a saving of Egypt or all the surrounding countries, whatever it is, God intended that Yosef should be in this situation so that he could be the source of sustenance for so many people. And then Yosef in sentences 21 and 22 goes on to say, don't be afraid, I'm going to support you and your children. He comforts them, he speaks to their hearts. Yosef and his brothers, his father's household, live in Egypt, and Yosef lives 110 years. So there's obviously incredible, you know, things to discuss here. One is, what is really the sum total conclusion of the relationship between Yosef and the brothers? But the other is this, what I told you before, is a literally mind-blowing commentary from the Bala term. So here's what the Bala term says. We have a word in the Torah called Lu, which we translate as maybe or perhaps. Now, we have other Hebrew words that convey the word maybe, and that is, for example, pen. Pen is lest, L-E-S-T, which means lest, like we hope it does not happen, but maybe it will happen. That's pen. We have other words called ulai, which are maybe. So Rashi over here translates the word lu to mean maybe Yosef will hate us, similar to other maybe Hebrew words that we have in the Torah. The Balaturim says that really the word lu means halavai. Everybody familiar with the expression halavai? How I wish it would be so. That's what lu means. Lamed vav is really like lamed vav aleph yud, which is levai, which means how I yearn for that. Halavai. I really want that to be the case which, by the way, everybody agrees is generally the translation of the word blue. Rashi says over here it means Shema, perhaps. 
But in general, everybody agrees that the word Lu means Halavai. So says the term. If you think about it, that means the brothers are saying, how we wish Yosef should hate us. That's, that's what the brothers are saying. We wish that Yosef should hate us. Halavai! Pretty astonishing, right? But he explains in much greater detail, and his commentary needs tremendous explanation. So first of all, the Balaturim says what the Talmud teaches us, and that is that when the brothers were returning from burying Yahu, that means all the brothers, including Yosef, went from Egypt to Eretz Kanaan, bury Yahu. On the way back, Yosef makes a literal pit stop. Literal pit stop, right? He stops by the pit where he was sold. And he makes a blessing. Praise is Hashem who did a miracle for me in this place. As we know, there were scorpions and snakes in that pit where the brothers first placed Yosef. And so Yosef is stopping at that pit and recognizing the miracle that Hashem did, that he survived the snakes and scorpions. Now that's an obligation the Talmud tells us in Tractate Brachos, that whenever a person does experience a genuine miracle and they go back to that place where the miracle occurred, they have an obligation to make a blessing in that place. Baruch, blessed is the one Hashem, that he made for me a miracle at this time. It's kind of like when people go back to where they first got married. I'm kidding. But the point is a person should make a blessing in the spot wherever a miracle occurred. So the brothers see that and they say, oh, Yosef is thinking about what we did to him. And let's think about this. Yosef was 17 years old when he was sold. He's 39 when he is made the king over Egypt. Uh, I'm sorry, he's 30 years old when he's made the king over Egypt. He's 39 when the brothers first you know, meet him in the, in the famine, the second year of the famine. And so now that's age 39 for Yosef. They meet him. And Yaakov lives another 17 years in Egypt with the brothers and Yosef. So 39 plus 17 is 56. So that means that at age 56, when Yosef is making a pit stop and blessing Hashem for the miracle that he did in that place, the brothers are saying, oh, Yosef is thinking about what we did to him almost 40 years ago, 39 years ago, when he was age 17. And therefore, they said, maybe Yosef will hate us. But as the Baal of Thurms goes on to say, there are some that explain that it doesn't explain that it does not mean maybe Yosef will hate us. However, Yosef should hate us. The only thing is, ideally, he shouldn't actually do any actions to us that would hurt us. Halavai, he should only hate us in his heart. Luis de Yosef means halavai, Yosef should hate us in his heart. But he shouldn't do any ma'aset to us. But you know what says the term? If he wants to do something to us, let him bring up, bring it on, bring against us all the evil that we did to him. Yosef should bring it on. Because what did we really do to him? What did we do to him? We caused him that he should become a king. That's what we did to him. We caused, we the brothers who sold Joseph, caused him to become a king. We sold him, and the matter turned out, and he was made the king over Egypt. So he should do to us. That's how the Baal term concludes. Now, obviously, there are many, many problems with this uh, Baal term. Hello, Henry. Welcome. So there are many, many problems with this Baal term. First of all, 
what kind of insanity is it for brothers to wish that their brothers should hate him? So you'll tell me, well, what they really mean is, listen, it's a fait accompli that Yosef is going to hate us. What they're really saying is how we wish he should only hate us in his heart, but he shouldn't do anything to us. Okay, but that's not really what the sentence says. The sentence says, halavai, Yosef should hate us. You have to read into that what this Baal term is saying, that it, what it really means is that he should only hate us in his heart and not actually take any physical action against us. Okay, that's a problem because it doesn't really seem to mean that he should only hate us like this because it's a given that he's for sure going to hate us, especially when you think about the story. From the beginning, when Yosef reveals himself, he says, don't worry, you know, uh, you know, this was all done by Hashkachas Hashem. You know, I needed to be here so that I could support all of you. That's when he's age 39. Same thing is being repeated at his age 56. And top of that, he kisses them. He talks comfortingly to them. And over here also, he's very clear that it's very clear that Yosef is trying to comfort them. Okay, that's hard to understand, but okay. But if it's true that what you're going to say is that really they hope that Yosef doesn't do anything to him and that he should only hate us in the heart, so then why does he continue, according to the Bala term, why did the brothers continue and say, by the way, what did we do to him anyways? We made him king? That's what we did to him? So let him do the same thing to us. He should repay against us all the evil that we did with, to him, meaning in, in physical action. Because after all, we sold him. The matter turned out that he became king in Egypt. Let him do the same thing to us. All the evil that we did to him, he should do to us. What do you, we have a death wish? Like, it's crazy. That second question, meaning the question is, internally, within the same commentary, on the one hand, you're saying, how we wish he shouldn't do anything to us, really, but we have to accept the fact that he's going to hate us internally. And then you're also saying, but you know what? If he really does do something to us, so it's Gabaldic, because when we did something terrible to him, he became king. Let him do the same thing to us. So then why are you wishing that he shouldn't do anything to you? The whole thing is inherently contradictory. I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, but am I explaining myself well? We're good? Okay. And then finally, according to this explanation, which is a Pashupshat explanation in terms of Lu, that Lu means Halavai, that is the more normal way to translate the word Lu, Halavai, that Yosef should hate us. However, you're going to explain it, whether you say it the way the Baal term says it, or you choose to say it a different way, the brothers go on to say, your father Yaakov commanded to forgive us. And on the other hand, you're saying, we wish that Yosef should hate us, right? If the Pashat explanation of the word Lu is halavai, which again, most of the time, uh, in fact, it's all the time, except for this one time, according to Rashi, that it doesn't mean halavai. So then how does that coalesce with the following sentences that say, your father commanded that you should forgive us. And by the way, we'll, 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 they prostrate themselves and say, we'll be your slaves. We're going to be your slaves. How does that jibe with Oh, how we wish Yosef should hate us. And so therefore, no matter how we read these sentences, we're left uncomfortable either by what is the nature of the relationship between Yosef and the brothers, but then we get a little more didactic and you think about the word Lu and the way that it should be translated, becomes a big problem to understand what is the real nature of this last conversation that the Torah you know, gives us the privilege to 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 know about and, and what is the message to us. So I'd like to suggest that based on these sentences and really hopefully a, a much more careful reading of so much of the storyline uh, of Yosef and the brothers, we really need to 
recognize the truth of the heavy issues that are really being discussed between Yosef and the brothers and the heavy matters that are being decided uh, both in terms of the initial sale by the initial dreams of Yosef and the sale of Yosef and ultimately what does happen at the end which is that the brothers do decide to live with Yosef in Egypt and let's remember that's even after the death of Yaakov because as we just calculated Yosef at this time is age 56 when this last conversation is happening because Yaakov lived in Mitzrayim for 17 years after we know Yosef's age 39 and Yosef lives to the age 110 so 110 to 56 is another 54 years right so the brothers are living with Yosef supporting them viceroy in Egypt whatever his relationship is with them they're all living together in Egypt for 54 years in whatever the context is of the feelings that they have for each other in this very difficult relationship and with also what's being expressed, either that they wish that Yosef should hate him or they don't really want that Yosef should do anything to them. So we need to understand that the seriousness of the issues that we're discussing are obviously not simple. And we need to give it some kind of understanding as to what's really going on in the story. And so what I'd like to suggest, it's a very important idea, very powerful idea, very relevant idea to all of us and a major, major lesson for Jewish people of all time. And that is that very, very clearly, the brothers in their interaction with Yosef realized that as much as they disparaged Yosef and said that he doesn't belong in our people and there's no way that he's deserving to be king, Yosef has become a legit leader, a legitimate king. That means they recognize at the end of the day the greatness of Yosef and how wrong they were. Now we've pointed out in the past that they even know initially that they made a mistake because Yaakov was not able to reconcile himself to a future with his children that does not include Yosef. He's never able to get over the loss of Yosef until finally it's revealed that Yosef is alive and the spirit of Yaakov becomes revived, right? But the point is that the brothers themselves realize the truth of Yosef's greatness at the very end. So they have a lot to live with, which is how they try to cancel him. That's the modern terminology for trying to put somebody out and uh, make them discounted and not relevant, right? They try to cancel him. And at the end of the day, he's the most relevant of all of them. So what the brothers are saying is, hey, wait a second, what happened? How did Yosef go from this child, this demon, that was speaking negatively about us, that wanted to destroy us as a people, and now he is literally the glue and the catalyst of the salvation of the Jewish people, short-term and long-term. How did that happen? And the answer is that Yosef learned that suffering is an opportunity for transformation. That's what Yosef learned. When he was all alone, when he was in a foreign country, a depraved foreign country, when he was on the bottom of the totem pole, a slave, he learned that his mission in life must include to change himself for the better. And he understood that he obviously was not properly portraying himself to his brothers, maybe even to his father, and that as much as it's true that he had the potential to be the leader, the catalyst for the orbit of the stars, the sun and the moon that we spoke about over the last couple of weeks, but he wasn't ready. 
he wasn't the person that he needed to be, whether he was playing with his hair, he was uh, infatuated with other people thought about him, or that he wanted to be a leader before he was actually a person of responsibility, a person who really knew how to empower other people, wherever the specific deficiency is, Yosef knew that his suffering is an opportunity, not a destruction. And that is a humongous lesson for the Jewish people today. I just want to go right now to how important that is for all of us. For all Jews that are fetching and crying and screaming, oh, we thought this was never going to happen again. How could the Gaim abandon us again? How could the college presidents be so moronic? I don't understand. How come no Gaim have our back? We are doing the opposite of the Yosef lesson. Because the Yosef lesson says, why are we going through this? How do we have to change? What is the transformation that we have not yet done that we obviously need in order to be a mamleches kohanim, a gai kadosh, a segula mikol ha'amim, all the phrasings that the Torah says about the lofty, elevated status of the Jewish nation, that they're going to respect you, that they're going to know that Hashem is real. All those sentences, of which there are hundreds and hundreds of sentences in the written Torah and thousands in the, I'm sorry, in the Chumash and thousands in the, in the, in the, in the Tanakh. Why, why is it not happening, people? Because the Gaim are not who they're supposed to be? Or because the Jews are not who they're supposed to be? Which one is it? Which one is it? Says this Balaturim, that the brothers understood that Yosef changed, Halavai, he should hate us so that we should change. Because we also were terribly wrong. And we need a wake-up call, the brothers are saying. Halavai, all that will be necessary is that Yosef doesn't like us and he distances us. Halavai, that's all it should be, and that he shouldn't need to do anything else, and that we change, and that through our change, we become the kings that we're supposed to become, which I'll explain more in a minute. Just like Yosef became his own independent, regal entity, a person of tremendous world-class value, not only to the Jewish people, but to the entire world, right? That is what we need to become. He recognized, the brothers recognize that truth, that they need to change. And maybe Nebuch, they need a little discomfort from the fact that Yosef hates them and that Yosef can't fully reconcile with them. Maybe he shouldn't reconcile with them because they have a lot that they need to change. And, you know, if we ask ourselves, did the brothers fully own up to what they did wrong? Did they fully feel sorry? Did they fully uh, tell Yaakov? Did they fully tell Yosef? Did they really learn all the lessons that they needed to learn from their mistake in selling Yosef? You know, the Asara Haruge Malchus is the classic medrash that is used to, you know, tell us that the brothers obviously did not rectify all the wrong because that's why the 10 martyrs died as a penitence for the sin of the 10 tribes that sold Yosef. So that's what the brothers are here recognizing. Halavai Yosef should hate us. But they say we want that to only be in his heart. That we should do that transformation without much more serious suffering. But you know what, Yosef? If you think we need more, bring it on. Do whatever is necessary to help us transform. It's a tremendous statement of willingness on the part of the brother saying, listen, bring it on. 
If we need to suffer in order for us to change the way that we need to change, Yosef do that because the real destiny of each and every tribe, and not only each and every tribe, each and every member of the Jewish people are supposed to be a star. And a star is a global influencer. That's what a star is. A star is a person that is capable of bringing light to the whole world and affecting the entire universe. That's what every Jew is supposed to become. Now, we know this explicitly in the sentences when the Torah tells us that after Yaakov had all 11 sons, not Binyamin, the Torah says that Hashem says to Yaakov, Goy, this is a pasuk in Parshas Vayishlach, Goy ukahal goyim ihiyam nimeka, umalachim mechalatzecha yetzeu. A nation and a congregation of nations should come from you. Who does that refer to? Binyamin, he is a nation. Binyamin himself is a nation. And a congregation of nations refers to Ephraim and Menashe. So when we turn to our children on Friday nights and we say, we're not just saying, hey, look, be great like Ephraim and Menashe. We're saying each and every Jew can become a nation in its own right. Gai ukal Gayim Iyamimako refers to Benyamin and Ephraim and Menashe, and that's the ultimate definition of a tribe. And that's why Yaakov and our parsha says Ephraim and Menashe Kiruven Bishimon Yiuli. Ephraim and Menashe are themselves tribes because every Jew has the ability to be a tribe. Becha Yivarech Yisrael Lemor. Sentence in our parsha. In you, the Jewish people will bless themselves, saying, Hashem should put you, my individual son. My individual child, like Ephraim and Menashe, they become a guy. They become a nation. That's the blessing of the Jewish people. So say the brothers, we haven't achieved that greatness yet. We need to suffer at the hands of Yosef or whatever suffering we need to undergo. Not as a kapara for what they did wrong, but as a catalyst for the transformation to help them become the people that they need to become. So in our title, when we say leaning into transformation, we have to remember that the suffering that we're experiencing is meant to help us transform. We need to lean in to that suffering as a method of transforming. We have to take better advantage of our time. We have to recognize the importance of our relationships with our family members. We have to recognize the privilege that it is that we know so many great Jews and people of, 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 of tremendous importance and intelligence and and respect them and learn together like we're doing on this class. We have to recognize that we have not lived the lives that we need to lead. We need to rectify the sins that we did wrong. We need to ask for forgiveness from the people that we've hurt. We need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, are we really living up to our potential today? Will I live up to my potential today? Did I live up to my potential? Those are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves because that is why we are suffering. That's what the brothers are saying. And if we're not producing world beaters as children, I don't mean just my son, the doctor, my son, the lawyer. I mean, my son, the stunning example of integrity, my son, the one who leads by example, my son, the one who empowers others. Then we're asking ourselves the right question if we're raising our children to be like Ephraim and Menashe. And that's what these Shvatim are saying when they are saying, Halavai, Yosef should hate us. If what we need is discomfort in this relationship from Yosef 
so that we don't go back into denial and say, you know what? We really didn't do anything so terrible. That's not what the brothers are saying. Yeah, that's the prima facie reading of the Balatur. Hey, what did we do so bad? We sold him and he became a king. Woohoo! Right? Obviously, we sold him as a horrible thing. We sold him and he was able to use that experience to let him to become royalty worthy. So too, we need to become royalty worthy. And so the bottom line is that just like Yosef recognizes that everything that happened to him is Elohim chashava litova, we have to tell ourselves the same thing. Now it's once again clear how many enemies we have, how the people of the world don't stand by the Jews. Yeah, that was a wake-up call because we've been ridiculously complacent in our own transformation. We haven't cared properly about other Jews. Um, when I was by Henry's house already uh, two years ago, we talked about how 5%, 5% of the Jewish children in the state of California go to Jewish day school. 5%. Right? At least we should be 20% like the Jews in Egypt. Right? 5%. In Florida, I'm not sure that the numbers are much different. Bottom line is, we have been asleep at the wheel, as Dr. Finkelstein likes to say, but not asleep at the wheel, just, you know, basking in the illusion of the fact that, you know, Jews are finally accepted as regular citizens of society. We've been asleep at the wheel of our own need for self-transformation and taking responsibility for ourselves and the rest of our nation. And ultimately, we have to remember that the blessing of Yisimcha Elohim Ke'afrayim Yisim Nasha is to raise children that are truly global influencers. And the way that we do that is by taking full responsibility for who we are, the opposite of the victim mentality today. You know, I can't really work more than three and a half days a week. You know, I need my me day. I need my, my uh, you know, my exercise time, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, we have to understand that that secular garbage that's permeated uh, the larger society has also permeated our own from homes and societies. You know, I can't really have a Pesach if I don't have a second home. You know, how can I make Pesach? I have to go to a hotel. And all these many, many things that so many of us know about, we have to demand a lot more from ourselves, but not demand it just because we're responsible, but demand it from ourselves to understand that the only way to become the kings and the global influencers that we are supposed to become is if we challenge ourselves to grow and change ourselves to our highest level of capability. Question or comments? Rabbi, I see a number of comments in the chat. I don't know if you want to, if you scan okay. or you want to have a look. Sounds good. And then people can, uh, can raise you, you'll, if they want to speak. Uh, You'll call on whoever wants to speak. Okay, so, uh, folks, please raise your hands. And I, in fact, I see uh, Rabbi uh, Rabbi Heel has his hand raised, so maybe he can you can he can say something. And then Professor Patterson, and Great. I'll check the chat for comments. Great. Just wanted to bring a proof to what you're saying because you, if you noticed, what does ya ya Yaakov say to to Ephraim and Menashe? Kishimon. Kuruvain the one he curses, right? And yet he says you should be like Ruvain and Shimon. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point that Yaakov obviously holds tremendously of, of Ruvain and Shimon. 
Right. Unless it's a backhanded curse to Ephraim and Rashi, which just uh, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Maskin. Yep. Great point. Shall I, shall I speak? Please, yes, please, Dr. Patterson. Uh, yes, I thank you as always, Rabbi. It's you, you renew me with your wisdom every time I come and learn, learn from you, learn with you. The question, I mean, suffering is a fundamental human question, right? <laughs> what do we do with it? How do we react to it? What makes us suffer exactly? And how should it transform us? Suffering is transformational. The question is, how is it going to transform us? And into what? Into what? Uh, I mean, when in our own time, uh, abuse gives us excuse. I was abused. Now I'm an abuser. What else can I be? Right? The Torah says, because you were strangers in Egypt, you will not abuse the stranger. Our, that suffering robs me of my excuses here and summons me to a deeper relationship. It transforms me by drawing me closer and or at least helping me to realize that, that my soul takes on life in the midst of a relationship and not as I sit around and whine, why me, why me, why me? I mean, uh, and as we draw closer to, to others, we draw, of course, closer to God. And actually, it leads to a different kind of suffering. As we love more, more deeply, we take on a different kind of suffering. A suffering for which we should be even thankful because it arises from a deep love. So that we, if we can, we, we can confront God, <clears throat> not by saying, why me, but why the children? Why St. Jude's Hospital? You know, we're supposed to ask God why, I think, about certain things. Uh, we're supposed to be Yisrael, the one who engages God in a, in a kind of struggle. So uh, I think you, this is an important topic. I just say one more, if I can... Uh, if you'll excuse me for same shameless uh, self-promotion, this Parsha uh, has you know Jacob gathering his sons around him for you know to impart to them his wisdom and his you know his whatever understanding he has, and it's 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 is the basis for the tradition of the ethical will in in Judaism, and uh, I just published my ethical will recently. <laughs> it's called the 18 words to sustain a life. So sorry for that plug, but thank no, you. it's that look, everything you said is so spot on and it's really so important. I love the way that you, you know, you turned Western philosophy and psychology on its head. You know, the the whole the whole the victim is the abuser versus the Torah's uh, uh, definition is that the victim is the one who is compassionate and 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 understands and, and cares and prevents the abuse is really where it's at but you're right it completely depends on do i internalize my experience as a definition of 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 who i am or do i internal, internalize my experience as a stepping stone for me to be someone different 
and uh, and and that's so so fundamental. It's it's just terrible that it's not not more clear to people. Uh, and and I, um, how do we buy your book? The the usual <laughs> Amazon. Amazon. Okay, so Amazon, maybe Aaron Yehuda, maybe you'll send out some in the email. Maybe you post the book on there, and the emails that you send next week. Yes, I, I will post. Good idea. Okay, yeah, it's a, I, in the emails I, I, from now on. I, let's just I believe that we have an not an upraised hand on the the app, but another upraised hand. I just want to call to your attention a couple, uh, just kind of summarize a couple of the chat comments, and then we can go on with the upraised hand, with the raised hand. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a discussion uh, initiated by Ari Marinelli about whether or not th there there is an internal conflict or some kind of a subconscious thing on the part of the brothers where they have guilt. And uh, although that Yosef is not outwardly, as he sees it, uh, blaming them or threatening them, that they feel subconsciously guilty and, and, and they're working out some kind of a subconscious issue. Uh, so that's one of the points raised. The other by uh, Ravi Hill is that is perhaps more the, according to the Midrash, that Yosef just didn't want to chastise them and go after them while his, his father was alive. I hope I didn't mess mischaracterize of those, but how, how, what do you think about the possibility that it was really their their subconscious guilt, and and can you comment on on, on that? Uh, so, I, I, yeah, the, and the, the, these are great points. I don't think that there's a a good way to read the sentences at the end of the Torah that Yosef does not harbor some difficulty in his feelings about the brothers. And my ultimate proof is that when the brothers turn to him and say, we will be your slaves, Yosef says, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? I just want to know, is that what a person who's full of love and forgiveness says? Don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? Meaning you deserve whatever comeuppance you want. Uh, you know, you deserve. But that's God's purview. That's not my, that's not my job. <laughs> right? I think Yosef is very much saying that they do deserve something for what they did, but he's not going to step into that role. So I think that even though Yosef has forgiven them in the sense that he's fully accepted what's happened to him, he's not letting them off the hook from what their problem is. Chazal for sure learned that he distanced himself some from them after Yaakov dies, which, you know, maybe Rebichil is alluding to that. So I do think that the right way, my own personal opinion, this is my take this year is that they are not fully reconciled but that the Torah is telling us that Jewish people don't have to be fully reconciled to go to shul together to live together for 53 more years which is what they do right you would think with all this internal difficulty with each other the brothers would say goodbye right like okay Yosef you know our father was alive we did what he wanted we came down to Egypt Sayonara, you, you're stuck, you know, uh, you know, leading the people of Egypt. They don't do that. They, there's no attempt to do that. So I think that that means that they are resigned to their non-completely reconciled state, but also, despite that choosing to become one nation, given those differences about Supreme Court issues, etc., if you catch my drift. I see uh, uh, Mr. Horowitz, I believe, uh, has his hand Dr. up. Doctor. Pardon, doctor. I didn't mean to. Uh... Okay, no, no worries. 
and, think, uh, and as no, do I, I Henry, and Rabbi Ahil. I think Henry had something, no? Henry? Henry? I'm sorry. Yes. yes. Sorry. Go ahead. go ahead, Henry. Sorry. Okay. Uh, if you go back to the genesis of this uh, argument and how Yosef ended up in Egypt, it was a family dispute. Basically, brothers fighting. You know, Jacob making mistakes by making Yosef showed to be his, you know, favorite. And uh, they end up selling him and he ends up in Mishraim and, you know, that's where the suffering comes from. So, when the brothers meet 20 some odd years later, it's still facing that family dispute. And uh, kind of trying to link this to what's going on today, and I, I've, I've commented on this before, you were saying that we were relying on the Goyim to support us, why are they not supporting us? And because of that, the Jews are becoming closer together. And because of that, Many Jews are more open today to find out why everybody hates them. So they want to become more Jewish and they're more open to Kiru and to change. So, uh, you know, what happened, what happened in Israel, we had a gigantic dispute, which is kind of muted now, but it's still there. The underlying things are there about that, you know, judicial reform process. And, and you know, could you conclude that maybe something good ultimately comes out of a big family dispute? where a dysfunctional family finally can function properly, even though it's not totally reconciled. There's not a full reconciliation. Because these disputes generally don't last days. They last years. Or they last decades. You know, when people don't talk to each other for a long time, and you know, I've seen this over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I think that is a legitimate parallel. And I do think that uh, we should learn from it uh, what you're saying. I'm just kind of couching it with the idea that as long as we're really committed to living together as Jews and building a nation, which is what I think the brothers and Yosef were committed to in Egypt, even with all their internal strife, then we will gel and be a great people, um, even if we haven't reconciled everything. But it has to be that what's off the table is, you know, some Jews are out, like selling Yosef. That can no longer be like an option. Right? It can't be that, well, we disagree with judicial reform. We need another state, right? We need two states of Israel, as an example. That, that well, has a lot to be of them said that they're going to leave the state. I, I remember this, you know, if we, we're going to leave Israel. And, and, and people did leave because of this. Right. So you're correct. That, that transformation is what needs to happen. That uh, meaning now, post October 7th, right, just like post the sale of Yosef, which is the parallel that you're drawing, it needs to be no, 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 no. We are sticking together. We're going to try to work out our differences. And as long as they're not worked out, we're still together. And we're still one nation. I agree with you. I think that's an excellent point. And it's it's very important for today. I mean, I, I heard from numerous people that uh, what is this business with Netanyahu is still there. He should resign. They should throw him out. I mean, this is, a, you know, why after the war it should be done now? I mean, pe people just don't stop. It's, it's, it's amazing, you know, in the midst of all the suffering. <laughs> we do. We are, th that's right. And I'm saying that that's similar to the mistake that Jews that I've heard in this country saying that, you know, it's terrible how the guy are not standing behind us. And like, we're, you know, we did all this civil rights, you know, work with all the other movements in the 60s, you know, the whole thing. And now where is everybody? It's the same misfocus is what I'm saying. Right. Right. It's the same problem in, in having the focus on the wrong thing. 
Now, ideally, uh, it would be great if somebody would write papers on, you know, a, a solution to the judicial reform for at least the next five years, you know, that we can all agree to. And ideally, it would be great if somebody could, um, you know, come to some sort of this is what we should do with Gaza for the next five years. And this is what we should do with Iran for the next five years. You know, it would be great if that's where, as Jews, we were spending our time and energy and becoming cohesive on those issues. But at the very least, I agree with you, it has to be no option that we're canceling each other out. And I think that is why Safer Boratius ends on this note. They are not reconciled, but they are together as one nation. Meaning they're not fully reconciled. And also that they forgive, meaning at the end of the day, it means that they forgive each other enough that they're willing to live together. That doesn't, that's not everything that we want, but it's enough to be Jewish people, which is what we become. Well, when, when people get together after they've had a dispute, you know, it takes time to, to go back to the crescendo. It doesn't happen overnight. It's very uncomfortable. Right. right. So. That's true. That's true. We, we do need patience. Very, very true. Um, I see we have, thank you, Henry. It was awesome. I see we have other raised hands. I don't know if that's correct. I, 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 I'm, yeah. I'm there and uh, Rabbi Heal. So uh, just very, very briefly, if I may, on, 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 the, on the, the discussion about revenge. In, in the Western common culture, if you look at, at, at the most popular movies, and what's happening is that invariably you have this theme of somebody being wronged and then engaging in extraordinarily violent and vicious revenge so that people who have a, any sort of grievance in life have this ongoing reinforcement in common culture that if you've been wrong, you, you, you can really act out. And people who are angry and frustrated and feel oppressed and feel wrong have a lot of reinforcement through the audiovisual effect of, of, of uh, cinema and video games and, and, and you know, all, all kinds of things that the thing to do is not to be forgiving and to recover and heal and to coexist with some, peace, some degree of peacefulness, even if there's resentment, but rather that, that, that an avenue is to act out and to be really violent. And you can see that, especially in some of this younger generation of people that are frustrated and think it's okay to do anything if you think you've been wronged and mad. And we see that this is a much more nuanced thing that what happens between Yosef and the brothers when there's being wronged and being resentful versus what we're seeing now being acted out. So I think it's-, it's right, right, exactly right. That, that's, a, that's a great way of elaborating on, on Dr. Patterson's point. Um, and that is, by the way, the justification of the pro-Palestinian movement. That's exactly their justification. Uh, Dr. Charles Small uh, shared with us in Yeshiva this week that he was in Columbia University and he hears female graduate students, right, professors of sociology, you name it, in Columbia University saying, listen, the response was against colonial Israel and that justifies the raping of women. Can you imagine? The, the, the female professors are saying that justifies it, right? So it's this completely secular, horrible ideology that says we suffer, which is imagined, and saying, therefore, it justifies all evil. That's, that's totally, totally inhumane. It's unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> it is unbelievable. <laughs> the, this is, uh, 
their life is just another uh, other Nazis. These are Amalekites dressed in nice suits and speaking of uh, nice vocabulary. Right. Yeah. Otherwise known as Germans. Isn't that Amalek? Isn't that the Tochacha? Uh, what's in the Tochacha? That you're going to be free and they're going to do the two things that you're not supposed to if you don't behave. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's, it's clearly in the Torah. It's not like they yeah. can, this, this is what it sounds like when you something is wrong. Right. It, yeah, again, something's wrong. Right. something's wrong with our behavior. Yep. That's where we have to be looking. We have to be looking at our suffering as our opportunity for transformation. Dr. Uh, Rothman pointed out that if you invert the ratio and the ayin and the word rot, you get air, which is to be awakened. Yep. Thank you all. Is everybody uh, we, we good for today? No, I'd like to say a couple oh, of things. Michael, yeah, go ahead. Uh, interestingly enough, the book Count of Monte Cristo is actually written as a polemic against taking revenge. Ultimately, he sees it wasn't worthwhile, which is interesting. That's what, 250 years old. But I, I don't want to throw a monkey wrench in the swore you were saying, but honestly speaking, I would disagree with your, uh, um, your, mus your conclusion because even if Yosef was mopled them completely, which he did in the beginning, that's still telling them, you still have to do tshuva for what you did. I understand Hashem did this all, but everything Hashem does, but a person does something wrong, he has to do tshuva. He's not going to get off, because I'm mochel you doesn't mean you get off the evil you did. You have to yeah. deal with the Kaddish Boy. Then becomes Ben Adam Lamako. You're right. It's not been on the You did not think to me. I realize everything's from Hashem. I don't have to take revenge. I am. You're free from me. I'm mochel you completely because I understand it all comes from Hashem. But but and I'm that's just saying. Yosef said. That's one way, and I, and I do think that that's a legitimate way. The reason I have a hard time with that is because the pasuk where Yosef says to them, "Don't be afraid," he doesn't say, "Don't be afraid because I forgive you." Right? He says because kiasacha salokim ani. Yeah, but that's like I said, he already forgave them 22 years ago completely. Yeah. He said it okay. explicitly. That's so what I'm saying. trying to so, say. So, I'm, not, yeah, I'm but, not necessarily okay. saying you're wrong per se, but I'm just yeah. saying there is definitely an element that even if you're mobile, yeah, somebody sure. can do it. I totally agree with that, yes. That's all. Yeah. Okay, everyone? All right, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with all of you. Have a great time. I have some news to tell Rabbi Zwag. I'll text you. Yes, oh, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll call you now, honey. I'm, I'm going to... Shabbat shalom, guys. Alicia, okay. it's great to see you. Um, Alicia, I just want to tell you that I am following up with our friend, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Shabbos, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.